Welcome to Heaven Smells Like Books, a book review podcast. Hello. Hi. It's me. I'm back. Um, <laughs> I actually never know how to start the podcast because I've never actually introduced myself to you guys. So you guys have no idea what my name is. And so I can never come on here and be like, hi, it's me, insert name again, you know, I don't know, never know how to start these. But anyway, um, hi, uh, thanks for coming back and if this is your first episode, thank you for picking mine to listen to and I hope you stay. Anyway, um, today uh, I'm going to be talking about another Tony Morrison book. This one is titled Paradise. Before I start, I just want to let you guys know that like two minutes before I started recording this, I had some cider, uh, a copper bug to be precise or specific, and ciders make me very burpy. So I apologise in advance. Also, I managed to spill some of it on my carpet, so that is fun. Um, Yeah, I wonder if the stain will be very obvious. But anyway, I'm here to talk about Paradise, also by Sean Morrison, like I said. So, Paradise is a book about a little town called Haven and a convent that is right outside the town. The, well, it's about those two places and the people living in them, obviously. Uh, The town, Haven, actually no, not Haven. Well, the town itself um, is called Ruby. However, it is the second location for a community of black only people. So, It was a black-only town which was established post-slavery because the founders of that town were not really welcome anywhere else, including in the other black-only towns. So they set up their own town, had their own independent system. I don't think they ever even had to interact with the government even. They were just like on their own, sort of fully self-sustained. And then a couple of generations, so that first town was called Haven. And then a couple of generations later, they had to move the town. So like they had to physically move the people in the town to a new location because the location for Haven was no longer conducive for them. So I guess you can sort of think of it as the same town because it's still the same group and community of people, but they're just in a different location. And the new location is called Ruby. Yes. Um, yeah. So they renamed it to Ruby and then out outside of Ruby, that's where the convent was. And the convent was only occupied by women. <laughs> so when I I don't know why I laughed at that. But anyway, so when I started reading this book, I read it right after I read Beloved or Beloved. And if you've listened to my episode on Beloved, you know that it was a very intense book to read and so when I picked this up I was just like god like I beg you 
don't let this one be as heavy as beloved was and I accidentally glanced at the blurb literally just the first sentence and the first sentence was four young women are brutally attacked in a convent near an all-black town in rural Oklahoma in the mid-1970s I was like, well, damn, I guess this is going to be just as heavy. But I don't think it was as heavy. It was heavy. It's a Toni Morrison book, but I don't think it was as heavy as Beloved. Anyway, yeah, the comment was only occupied by women. And it actually started off as a Catholic boarding school for brown girls. Excuse me. Yeah, um, it started off as a Catholic boarding school for brown girls. And, you know... I think in the last few years, we've gotten a lot of information in mainstream media about what those schools in the US and I I believe Canada as well, um, what the damage they did um, to Native Americans and the indigenous occupants of, you know, Canada and the US as well. But anyway, that's what the school was initially for. Um, But then the school got shut down. This was way before... Uh, the town settled in Ruby. Um, that was so like the boarding school being in the convent happened way before the black only town settled in the neighboring town. Anyway, yeah, but the school got shut down and most of the nuns left except who except one who I believe was the head nun and a black woman that that head nun had taken from a different country when. The black woman was a child. I think it counts as kidnapping, but hey ho, right? Um, story for another day. Anyway, the book takes us through the journey of how the convent goes from like being just the nun and the black woman for a few years. The nun was very old, and the black woman was basically caring for her. She cared for her until she died, and it was just both of them for a really long time. It seems. Um, So it went from being just the two of them to housing four other women um, that basically joined the household that was within this former convent. Um, And then the book then also takes us through how the members of the Black-only town turn against the women in the convent and violently attack them in an attempt to kick them out. So all the women in the convent found their way there in their time of need. And Tony Morrison really goes through how and why each of those women um, ended up there. Uh, So each chapter is like a story, like a section dedicated to each of the four young women that eventually start living with the black woman in the convent. And all of them... They found their way there in their time of need. They had all had something traumatizing happen to them. One of them, actually more than one of them, was running away from home and just happened to find herself in the convent and ended up staying. And so because of that, the way I read it was that the convent was a safe space for these women. Um, They found themselves there at a time where they really needed help and community and care and love. And they found that in that house or that convent and they ended up staying and eventually also then becoming like a part of creating 
a safe space for the other women that would come after them. So there was a real sense of community. Not all the women liked each other, that was for sure, but there was still a sense of community. Um, almost like family that <laughs> you haven't really chosen, but you've also chosen by deciding to remain in that convent with them. So there was a sense of community for sure. But inside the town, however, the sense of community amongst the townspeople was starting to dwindle and it read to me like a source of growing pain like you have this younger generation so like the teenagers in the town and they are going through this phase of developing their own opinions and pushing back on things that they didn't agree with and that wasn't really sitting well with the older members of the community so I sort of read it as growing pains um which are completely normal. It was just like teenagers pushing back on their parents, but on a larger scale because, you know, it's such a small and, I guess, intimate town um, that all of their parents' generation felt like all of their kids' generations were sort of ganging up against them. So one thing that was sort of at the centre of, of this sense of lack of community or sense of the community dwindling was an oven like a literal oven and it was at the center of the town and that oven was was a key element of the town's history both actually a key part of the town's history especially in the very first settlement of the town before they had to move to a different location for the town so, like I said, the oven was first built in the initial town that was founded in Cold Haven. Excuse me. <laughs> um, and it was in it. It was essentially like a gathering. <coughs> Excuse me again. God damn, editing this is going to be so annoying. But anyway, the oven was um essentially a gathering spot for the town. So when to the characters that we meet in this book. It was their forefathers that set up the town. And when their forefathers set it up, they built the oven. And everyone would gather there to cook, eat, talk, play. It was literally like a town centre. Somewhere for people to gather and spend time with each other and talk and all of these things. Um, so it was a key and centre point for the community. Anyway... So when they moved from that original location that their great-grandfathers founded, they also took the oven with them. So they dismantled the oven and took it with them to the new location and rebuilt it in the center of the new location for the town. So I'm saying all this so that you understand how important and how much historic and sentimental value that oven had to the people of the town but specifically the older generation in the town because like the teenagers had less of a connection with the original original founding fathers of the um town and therefore the other so they weren't as attached to it anyway the young people in town then started questioning and debating like certain aspects of the oven and pushing back on what it meant what it was for if they should change it and all of this and this became a major issue because one 
their parents felt like, how dare you even have opinions and share your opinions when they don't align with us? And also, like, we're moving so far from what our founding fathers wanted for this town that you people are starting to, like, question what the things they built mean, ETC, ETC. And... Yeah, so it was like this clash between the two generations. And a lot of the characters refer to that rebellion, quote-unquote rebellion, um, as one of the first signs that the community was crumbling, which is just, like, different generations will always have opposing views on things because, like, your views and things are very dependent on your context and your perspective and younger generations tend to have a very different perspective and also because they they might know the history but they don't they might not feel the history as as strongly as older generations that experience that history would feel about it i genuinely think that they could have found a middle ground, you know. But anyway, um, and as men always do, the men in the town, um, their accusing fingers found and pointed at the women in the convent, and they managed to convince themselves that those women were at fault, and that these five single women living alone on the outskirts of town was a suspicious thing. Like, they were so con- convinced that those women living alone without a man, they're all single on the, in like this massive building outside of town all by themselves. Like that's, that's fucking fishy. And they're starting to rub off on our town and bring, I guess, <laughs> I, I don't want to say bad vibes because I'm sure there's a better term, but they were convinced that it, it was the fault of the women and their presence was was sort of, I don't want to say ungodly, but unnatural. They felt like their presence and the way they lived their lives was unnatural. And they and they convinced themselves that because of that, they had to get rid of the women. But bear in mind that those women in the convent at various times had provided a form of comfort and shelter to multiple, multiple people in the town whether it was teenagers that were pregnant that didn't want or didn't know what to do about an unwanted pregnancy and then giving birth in the convent and the convent women helping them through that or women that were literally having mental health episodes, finding their their way to the convent and the convent women caring for them till they were strong enough to leave. Like, those women literally provided comfort and shelter to multiple members of that town and yet they convinced that the townspeople especially the men convinced themselves that those women were up to no good and that their quote-unquote unnatural way of living needed to be punished and and essentially removed from the town And like, because the women didn't agree or, no, actually, no, because the townspeople didn't agree with or respect the way the women lived, the way they dressed, they decided that like their otherness, the otherness of those women was a threat. Like their morals didn't align with theirs. And so automatically, of course, that meant that the women were threats. 
even though those women had never actually posed a threat to any of them, those women had literally never done anything that would show or prove that, oh yeah, no, these women are out to get us and they are bad news. Literally none of that. Um, anyway, the men eventually attacked the women in the convent and ma- managed to get rid of them. Something that really stood out to me in the book was that two of the men in the town, the Morgan men, they were twins, they seem to make references a lot to keeping the town as their forefathers intended. But they only did that when it benefited them. So my interpretation and understanding of how their forefathers wanted the town to be was like a real sense of community and helping each other out, like one big family. It felt like that was the vibe that their forefathers were going for. And I would argue that the Morgan men were not doing that. They were not enabling that sort of culture. And I would also argue that the Morgan when Morgan men were setting up the financial institutions within that town in a way that would allow them, as in the Morgan family, to continuously take advantage of the other families in that town for generations. They were building a financial system that would have meant that the other members of the town would be at their mercy financially because they owned and ran a bank. And I don't know a lot about financial ethics behind loans and all that, but the things they were doing did not seem like they were down for a real community vibe and culture the way their forefathers were. And so I just found it kind of funny that they would only reference the way their forefathers, the Morgan men, that is, that they would only reference how their forefathers wanted the community or town to be when it benefited them. But like, if they were really about it, why are you setting up this arguably problematic banking and financial system that is going to benefit you significantly more than it will benefit the other townspeople if you're really about community culture. Like, which is it? You have to pick one, you know? Yeah, so that, you know, stood out to me. Um, And just in general, it was really interesting that a group of Black people in a Black-only town that was founded specifically <laughs> specifically because their forefathers were excluded, they then, like generations later, they then turn against a group of women who were literally just minding their business. It felt very hypo- hypocritical. They literally knew nothing about those women and how those women started living in the convent or how they found themselves in the convent. But decided that simply because the women lived differently, they were a danger to the town. And it was like, how can you guys have this history of being rejected by everyone else so much so that you were you were so alone? Your forefathers had to set up their own town independent of everyone else. How can you know that history, understand that history, know what it did to your people, know what your forefathers and mothers went through? And still turn against a group of vulnerable women that found community and shelter and family and comfort in a convent. Like, define a hypocrite, you know? And it it makes me think about how marginalized groups like women 
treat further marginalized groups that exist within their group. So like the way white women um, contribute to the oppression of black women, the way black straight women contribute to the oppression of gay black women, trans black women. It's like, you know, you know what oppression is like. You, you, you're living through this. You know what it does, how it ruins community. You, you, you're living through the impacts, but you're doing the same to other people just because you're now in a position of power when compared to that further marginalized group. And... I don't know if it's like inherent human behavior to just always want to assert your power and privilege over people that are less privileged than you, even even though you've experienced what it feels like to be less privileged than other groups of people. Like, I don't know if it's an inherently human thing, like, or if it's something that we've just learned because of the types of societies that we've grown up in, you know? But yeah, it just made me think like that because, like, we, straight and cisgendered women literally have no proof. Like, we have no proof. We have nothing to actually make us believe that members of the LGBTQ plus community are a threat to us, that they're, that they're out to harm us in any way, yet we treat them like they are a threat. It's so confusing to me. Anyway, something else that really stood out to me was how the men in the black only town got away with the attacks. Like when I say they attacked the convent eventually, I mean they attacked the convent violently with guns and like they came armed and they physically hurt those women. Like, let that sink in. A group of men, a group of adult grown-ass men, and I'm not saying that because I'm trying to say adult men did something stupid. No, no, no. I want you to think about the physical capacity of grown-up adult men. Storming into a convent that only housed five women. One of them was an older woman and the re- the remaining were younger and I think one of them was like in her late teens or early 20s. So think of like a group of grown ass men arming themselves and storming into a convent that housed just five women Five women who were not aware that they were about to be attacked and attacking them. Is that not the wildest shit you've ever heard? Yeah. Um, and while they were attacking, I kept thinking, like, do they think they're going to get away with this? But they did get away with it. Like, the whole time reading that part of the book, I was like, oh no, like, for sure someone is going to pay for this because there is literal blood everywhere like how do they how do they plan on cleaning this up but they got away with it and it reminded me of how we all what we are as Nigerians watched the October 20 2020 Lekitoge shooting that happened like we watched it live on Instagram live 
And within a few days, people were telling us that it didn't happen and that we made it up and that there were no gunshots. There was nothing. It was all just made up. And it made me think about how, like, excuse me, shit, about how if you have enough powerful people that come together to act against a group of vulnerable people, they can easily change the narrative and the story of what actually happened. They can change it to benefit themselves and make themselves seem like they didn't actually do anything wrong. And especially if they are surrounded by people that enable their behaviors or systems that enable their behavior and people who are too scared or weak to see the violent and perpetrators for who they really are. Um, Because the men that attacked some of their wives, I guess, were not willing to admit the fact that they were married to men or people that would do such things. And they were really struggling with that reality so much that it was just easier for them to convince themselves that it wasn't that bad, actually. And like, let's ignore it and overlook it and change the narrative rather than admit that, oh, my husband is a violent man that will attack, shoot at, beat, hurt, physically maim unarmed women that had done absolutely nothing to them. Like that reality was so, it was too difficult for them to admit that they just chose the other option, which was to rationalize it in their minds. And so also, like reading this book after I read Beloved was also such an interesting experience. Um, because the post-slavery lifestyle is so different in the two books and it was really interesting to see that after slaves were freed different locations provided different experiences of post-slave life you know there were the people in books like Beloved um, in those towns where the black people still relied heavily on white people for war work and just survival in general then there were the independent and successful black towns like Tulsa obviously before the Tulsa massacre happened um and also like black people that held political positions before they got kicked out as well um and it was just interesting to see that like life post-slavery looked so different for different people um depending on where they were um and I think the last thing we can say about the book is that Tony was really in her speculative bag. So I think from Tar Baby, which is another Tony Morrison book, from Tar Baby onwards, she was really in her speculative bag. Um, and I'm not usually a speculative fiction babe. Uh, so, so like at the end of this book, there was a bit at the end that we're not entirely told exactly what happened to the women. We just know they sort of disappeared from the convent. Um, and we can't like hint at what happened. But some of it felt like, ugh, I don't know how to explain it, but like speculative as in it involved like things that don't seem real. Like, they don't seem like real natural things that would happen. 
Um, yeah, um, so like I said, like, I'm not really a speculative writing babe, um, because I like things that are, like, definite and on some level, like, things that I think that can be experienced, but, like, you know, we all know only so little about the world, so, like, maybe these things that feel more spiritual than anything else are things that can actually happen, um, you know, but for me, and I think maybe this is also why I don't really like reading, like, sci-fi, because I, I want to be able to relate or see and vision um, the things that happen. Like, have you have, like, a logical explanation? I guess maybe that's just how the human mind works. Like, we want everything to be super logical and some things simply aren't. As we know, we don't have, like, a scientific or logical explanation for everything. Um, the other thing that I just want to mention is that one of the women who lived in a convent was white. And Tony never actually tells us which one it was. We just know that one of them was white. And I can't, for the life of me, figure out which one was white. Um, but we know that there was a white one. And it just reminded me of Recitative, where she did a similar thing, where she doesn't tell us which one was white. We just know that there was a white woman. Um, yeah. Uh, so that was that. I think this might be my shortest on a Morrison episode, apart from the episode on recitative. Um, but recitative is a short story, not a book. But anyway, um, I think that's it for me. My throat is now really dry. Uh, uh, the book I'm going to review next is probably going to be Love, also by Toni Morrison. I haven't read a book in about a month, <laughs> so I can't tell you what I'm currently reading. But yeah, I hope you like this episode and I hope it makes you read Paradise by Tom Morrison. So yeah, uh, speak to you next time. Bye-bye.